Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six oh, days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I will go to Wanfield and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you Johnny man? <laughs> It's the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Oh, my David here with Kieran Murphy. Hello there, Owen. How are you, Kieran? But you don't care about us. All you want to know is, is Ken Early back safe and sound from his holidays? Hi, Ken. Hi, Owen. How you doing? Not too bad Kieran, good to see you. Nice break? Yeah, feeling good. You look rested, relaxed, but focused. Plump. A little, <laughs> a little plump. They don't... Uh, I've been eating a lot of winter dumplings and uh, they don't breaded, yeah. breaded cutlets. They don't, uh, they don't skimp on the... The fresh cream in Vienna, Ken. They really don't. Uh, yeah. No, it was good. It was. It was great. I mean, it was. It's very good. So I'm, I'm glad to be back. I did. I watched a bit of the football. You didn't be take glad a t- to t- know. Total break from football. It's good to know. Well, I did. T- I did take a total break until this just past couple of days. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, better I mean, get back into the swing of things. Yeah. Um, I'll go along, and I'm sure maybe they'll be. Sh- uh, they, they might even be showing the rugby. I can watch. Tottenham against Arsenal, maybe a bit of Ireland rugby, and then uh, and then I can watch uh, Liverpool Everton. This was in a, Everton Liverpool, in right? A bar in Vienna, is this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, football or skiing? Oh, that's the, <laughs> the they were the, the choice. The Six Nations wasn't registering too highly in the no on the scale. What about of, uh, Austria? Of course, isn't one of the Six Nations. So mm. it's what about really... uh, Filthy McNasties? There beside the 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 massive. Uh, cathedral right in the middle of Vienna. Filthy McNasty. Or the Molly Malone or whatever the hell it's called, the smelly Dublin or whatever. <laughs> the smelly <laughs> wherever, Dubliner is a good wherever the, Irish wherever, bar day. Whatever the name of the Irish bar the is. Smelly Dubliner. I've discovered three new footballing heroes since you've been gone, Ken. Yeah. Ivory Coast key, goalkeeper Bubakar Barry. Oh, yeah. Ivory Coast manager Hervé Renard. Hervé Renard. <laughs> and Tottenham Golador. Harry Kane. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what, I, I think I've got to say, I'm Barry, Bubakar Barry is top of that list, right? If people saw any of the African Cup of Nations final last night, if you didn't, I'll explain what happened. Useless game. 
It was a final of a major tournament, therefore it was pretty poor. Uh, the payoff, of course, is the penalty shootout. So my mind was wandering all over the place for most of the last second half and a good bit of extra time. And then we get the payoff. We get we get the penalty shootout. That goes to sudden death after it looked as though Ivory Coast could be gone early on and missed the first couple of penalties. Goes to sudden death. At that point, no keeper can can, can save anything. Uh, the our, our boy Barry, Bubakar Barry, the Ivory Coast keeper, goes down with cramp after virtually every penalty one, from the point it had gone to sudden death. Might have been a bit, a bit of gamesmanship. There was certainly gamesmanship involved when Andre Ayew, the, one of the star players for Ghana, steps up to take his penalty. And Bubakar Barry starts pointing, first of all to the right-hand side, then to the left-hand side which kind of defeated the purpose of the gamesmanship because he was mm. trying to show, I know which side you're going to kick it on. One of these two sides. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Ayu uh, uh, just slams it down, slams it into the corner, and th- thereafter, there's a little bit of a, an altercation between... The, not, not an altercation. Ayu just screams abuse at the goalkeeper, at Barry. Yeah. And Barry apologises, quite genuinely, it seems, for... You know, he's just, he was kind of looking at him. It's part of the game, you know. Yeah. I have to do this. So that happens anyway. Eventually, it gets down to the last two. What they turn out to be the last two penalties. The Ghana goalkeeper takes his, saved by our hero of the story, who then has a chance to score himself to win it for his country, but not before going down with cramp again. Yeah. At that stage, as I tweeted last night, he seemed to be playing mind games with himself. <laughs> not sure if he knew what was going on. He t- he eventually steps up heroically, scores, and tears off around the stadium. Hervé <laughs> uh, Reynard, the manager, is my hero because. He was ballsy enough, again, yeah. confident enough in his own physique to <laughs> whip off his top and cavort with, with all his players. I think, I think he fancies himself a bit too yeah. much on Hervé Renard. I mean, he looks to me as though he He's spent... He's bloody good shape, though. He spent most of his time working on that physique. You know, that's, there's no way. There's no way, Owen, that, uh, that he's getting that with, with less than... Two to three hours a day. But he looked, he, he, he looked in as good a shape as the footballers. I know. This is, this is what I'm saying. It's ridiculous. This is this I mean, what's he trying to... French manager over there. It's, it's, it's such obvious image crafting. I know he's got this lucky white shirt or whatever, which just happens to be the tightest shirt I've ever seen. Um, you know, but, but uh, then, you know, to, to whip it off at the end just seems to me a little bit like, come on, man. You know, we can all, you know, we can all see it. Cover up, please. <laughs> Yeah, have a bit, of, have a bit of respect for the rest of us here. You know, mm. I just, uh, I just think, what? How's he trying to? How's he trying to make us feel here? But I mean, if if you, if as you say, he works for two or three hours a day for that physique. Yeah, what's the point in hiding it under a bushel, or indeed a lucky white shirt? If you've got it, Ken, you can still see it under the shirt. You don't have to, you know, literally almost strut around semi naked. For people to see, well, you know, he looks like he's in good shape. Mm. You know, you can still see it in the shirt. Listen, the man was high on I mean, life. Leave a, leave just a bit of African... mystery. It was a strange look as well, because you say semi-naked, it's not... You don't see Giovanni Trapattoni doing the likes of that. Normally... Even, even in his... Even in his uh, now, Giovanni Trapattoni was in very good shape. You know, doesn't... Uh, he, you know, he, he won't drink alcohol. Uh, he won't eat... Uh, well, probably would eat fatty foods, but... Uh, what was Trap's big thing that he didn't like the meeting? Eggs? Mushrooms. 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 Yeah. Um, you know, but he, you know, he was a snake-hipped uh, fitness fanatic. He was like the Italian Jane Fonda. You know, he was in great shape. <laughs> he was in great shape at a time when it wasn't profitable or popular to be a, a fitness fanatic in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a land, a land of uh, you know big-bellied cigar-smoking men in tinted glasses mm. at that time, say the early eighties. Trap, great shape. Did you ever see him whip his shirt off and, and cavort semi-naked with his players? No. Well, I mean, 
Yeah, but I mean that that's fine. You know, like it, we're talking about different eras, different times, different continents. Yeah. And my third new football hero is Harry Kane. Two goals in the North London derby, amazing celebrations, his ungainly style, his raw enthusiasm, all of that. We're going to talk to Miguel Delaney about Harry Kane on today's show, as well as Jonathan Wilson about the African Cup of Nations final. What, what's your... No, just Harry, your Harry Kane's uh, North London Derby. His, his North London Derby heroics reminded me of a text message that I got from a Manchester United supporting friend of mine about Wes Brown, uh, who made some timely but ultimately vastly irrelevant uh, interception in the middle of a Manchester Manchester Derby. To which I got I got a text message almost immediately from my friend that just said, "Wes Brown, Manchester lad, he does the history," uh, and that's exactly what I thought of when I saw Harry Kane's two goals at the weekend. He does, he knows the, he knows the history. Knows it, well. it, it It matters a lot to that young man. Time for Kennedy's report on sport. I don't know if he does know the history actually, Owen, because. Harry Kane is only about, I mean, from the point from the perspective of me, he might as well be five or six years old. I don't know if he's acquainted with the history at all. I mean... Well, he uh, would have read up. If he's such a big Spurs fan, he would have read up on the history. The great double winning side, Ken. Um, what are we talking about here? The Arsenal 2004? No, Tottenham's double winning side. What, 71? Oh, uh, 60. 61. Oh, yeah. I think they might have done a double in both 61. Isn't that years ending with a one are always good to Tottenham? They tend to win a league or a cup in those years. To Harry well, Kane. They did, well, they, they used to do that. I mean, what about Herbert Chapman owned? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, your... what about him? What, 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 what do you want to know? His <laughs> radical uh, tactical changes that he brought to the game? Either way, the professor, whatever. He I won mean, a lot of leagues. He's yeah. a figure from antiquity uh, in football, in, in the football sense. I mean, the Spurs double winning team of 1960-61 is an unimaginably distant event to Harry Kane I don't know if he knows maybe he doesn't know the history Jurgen Klinsmann signing for Spurs is that was about when he was born a year after he was born yeah. <laughs> so yeah I mean it's of a more recent vintage I he, li- he literally was one year old when Klinsmann signed for Tottenham Klinsmann signing for Tottenham was an exciting moment in the history of the Premier League wow can't believe a player like Klinsmann would would join uh, English football. But isn't he such a diver? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Klinsman, uh, that is, not Harry Kane. Harry Kane wouldn't dive, Ken. He's English. No. Um, he's got a high centre of gravity, Harry Kane. He would look very awkward diving, Harry Kane. It's probably, he's probably never tried it, I would say. Uh, well, oh, he will, Owen. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly will. Um, but, yeah, where, where were we? Um, Do you want to start with yesterday's game? Manchester against West Yes, um... A terrible game between West Ham and Manchester United, which Manchester United in the end are lucky to uh, to get away with a point um, with a you know a goal which comes from a punt into the box, a header down by Jenkinson, straight into the path of Daly Blind, who's as though telepathically reading what's going to happen, is already almost on the run to the exact point where he needs to be to volley this ball in into the net for the equaliser. Um, Lucky to get away with that, Manchester United, after uh, standing by um, and allowing West Ham's goal scorer Criado to to juggle the ball in their area three times. I mean, I don't know how many times they would have allowed him to juggle it if he just kept doing that <laughs> without, you know, and hadn't decided to shoot. But it was it was poor, really poor. And uh, this was noticed by Sam Allardyce. He said, um, "In the end, we couldn't cope with Long Ball United." Uh, it was thump it forward and see what happens. 
now this is obviously. Did he say that, or was that the headline? No, Big Sam says they can't cope with long ball. Big, that's what Allardyce said. Now, when have you ever heard Sam Allardyce disrespect a great club like Manchester United like that before? Not in the Alex of Ferguson days. Of course, it's been a long time since that great club was managed by a foreign guru. Um, and uh, obviously, I mean, Allardyce can't just leave it at that. He has to say, you might criticise Louis van Gaal for playing long balls as much as I am sometimes criticised for being direct. In the end, it's paid off for them. We had many opportunities. I think it was a great shame we could see that goal as late as we did. It wasn't a normal goal you can see it against Manchester United, just a punt up the middle. <laughs> um, so there you go. Louis van Gaal. There you've got Big Sam's view on him. Times are tough if Big Sam is criticising you for your long ball philosophy. I wonder into which camp Louis van Gaal fits uh, in the, the two uh, opposing schools of football manager that Sam Allardyce has been talking about this season. The Fergies, the Mourinho's and the Allardyce's or the Wengers, the Rogerses, the Martinez's, the Pellegrini's, the Van Hals? Would he be in that? Uh, That's a good question. Would he be in that latter group? Because I mean, obviously, uh, by doing what he did uh, for for that equalising goal yesterday, or indeed most of the game, <laughs> he suggest- Well, I didn't understand Van Hal after the game actually, because Van Hal came out and he said, "You know, I'm not, I'm not happy with that." And okay, you think fair enough? Well, you, sh- you shouldn't be because it was it wasn't great. I mean, actually, the result was quite good. When you consider uh, what had been happening around Manchester United in the table, um, it was an important point for them to get. Uh, it was it was a big point, you know. So you could Van Ham might have been thinking, "Well, okay, not not that bad." West Ham having a good season. We've come here; it's not an easy ground. Get a draw later on. Actually, that's not bad. But you know, he was quite uh, he was quite. Mm, you know, I'm not happy. Uh, and he's talking about how they're giving the ball away all the time and they're playing long balls all the time. I think, well, you're, you're supposed to be the manager. How can a team be playing long balls and you not have anything to do with that? I don't, I don't get if that. If you bring on Marouane Fellaini, then, you know, I think that's pretty much what... Well, in fairness, he brought on Fellaini in the, only in the second half, and they were doing it long before then. You know what I mean? If, if you're doing it when Fellaini's there, at least it makes sense. You know, in, in a sense, you've, okay, at least you've got somebody to, who's likely to win a ball. You know, if he's if he's anywhere near the vicinity of the balls it drops, he might actually get there. Um, fuck how Roman van Persie. Mm, I'm not so sure. And why is he playing fuck how Roman van Persie together at the same time? I mean, uh, aside from the fact that money appears to be the dictating. Influence. I mean, it seems like, like they're going to keep giving Falcao chances, and I don't know Falcao, his his score record is not too bad, um, but he doesn't seem to have had. It seem that he, the injury is the elephant of the room in relation to Falcao. It really appears if he's just come back from that knee injury, not half the player that he was beforehand. And, you know, that's that's the big worry, I think, from Manchester United's point of view, is that the knee injury has t- taken the sharpness out of his game completely. And we've gone past the stage where, you know, he should be playing himself back into form. It looks now like the guy just isn't isn't anywhere near as good as he was before the knee injury. No, nowhere near. And, and I mean, he, he when you think of what what he was like, I mean, he was so uh, powerful. He was so kind of uh, elastic, you know, so athletic. And now he's just, he's kind of looks top heavy. You know, he's not really, his, his balance isn't great. He's missing chances when he does get them. And Van Persie as well. I mean, Van Persie is, is almost, almost escapes the criticism because he didn't get involved as much as Falcao. You know, he's, he's kind of just gliding around invisibly. Uh, what, what's he doing? Uh, but, of course, both of them are keeping Wayne Rooney 
wedged into this kind of Jeff Kenner role in midfield. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the, he's the most expensive player ever to be playing in a Jeff Kenner shuttling midfield role. You know, what, why is, what's happening with that? I can't imagine, like, I mean, obviously Van Gaal made Rooney the captain. You make the guy the captain, then he, you know, it's sort of you and him together. You, you're, you, kind of, you kind of bind yourselves together in a sense. And Rooney obviously owes Van Gaal a bit of loyalty. And then, you know, he's got his massive contract from the club, so I suppose he's got an interest in seeing that out. You know, I mean, he only signed that this time last year. So there's going to be four years on that. Um, so I don't imagine Rooney's going to be kicking off do you? No, and it's the same issue last year with Rooney. When he was, well, yeah. not so much last. It was, in fact, it was the last, the last Ferguson season. Yeah, Ferguson tried to play him in that position that he's now playing for Leuven Hall, and Rooney wasn't having any of that because it makes him look bad. It makes him look like an average, mediocre player. You know, he's he's not particularly good at, at some of the aspects of the job that he has to do. You know, I mean, which involves a lot of running defensive covering. That's not really what Rooney is equipped to do. At this stage of his career, it's unlikely, I, I feel, that he's going to really remould himself into that sort of role. What's he doing playing in that position? Um, it's, it's, a strange, it's a strange one, this kind of uneasy truce. I imagine that he will actually continue to put up with it, but he doesn't look particularly happy. Um, it, he doesn't look particularly productive. result of the weekend came in Spain. Atletico Madrid smashing Real Madrid 4-0 smashing Real Madrid and Real Madrid um, their need for a goalkeeper perhaps being underlined by the terrible mistake by Iker Casillas uh, which resulted in one of the uh, Atletico's in one of Atletico's four goals um, although not that Casillas himself uh, saw any problem with that my mistake why it was not like that he said uh, well yeah it kind of was actually uh, Casillas um which, uh, I, mean, I mean, obviously the player who Madrid have been linked to continually is David De Gea, another good game for Manchester United. But possibly good news for Manchester United, although, to be honest, it's difficult to take, to set too much store by anything this man says. George Mendes, Owen. Oh, oh. I don't know if I heard the promises we were making on your behalf. I did, I did hear that. But I'm, I don't actually have access to a, to a copy of this book yet. I don't know when it's going to come out, but I could, I suppose, get access and... Through a laborious process of Google translating, I could maybe see what's uh, see what's on offer well, in there. I mean, well, thank you for that, Ken. We appreciate it, and we'll look forward to hearing that on Thursday. Just like four or five chapters. I mean, we're not asking that you read the entire book. Don't make a liar out of me, Ken. Do not make a liar out of me. <laughs> okay. Don't make a liar out of McDevitt. Well, well, what what Mendes is saying is that he uh, he says I am negotiating with Manchester United about De Gea's renewal. It is not true that De Gea has found a deal with Real Madrid. I'm negotiating with Manchester United his extension. Now, I wonder if that... I mean, that's on Spanish radio, Cadena Ser. Of course, a lot of people in Madrid talking about... Well, among other things. Among other things, because we're going to get to what they're talking about. But one of the... Maybe tucked away in page 17. Somebody might have noted. Uh, Iker Casillas threw another one in there um, the other day. Um, this happened a few times now. And maybe we do really need a good, uh, a, a new sort of class goalkeeper as a um, matter of urgency. But of course, pages one to sixteen will be about the sabotage uh, of the asp, the aspid bosom of Real Madrid, Gareth Bale. Um, Gareth Bale plunges his fangs into the tender bosom of Real Madrid that has done so much to 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 raise him up from a pub. <laughs> How could he do this to them? How could he do this to them at, at this at the stadium of Atletico Madrid? Does he not understand that this is 
these are their city rivals. So how can he sabotage them like this in, in a match such as this? Why is Bale getting so much stick? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's just because it's bored of him. It seemed to start though with his with the, this idea that's grown this season that he doesn't pass the ball. Uh, like he's Gareth Bale. He's not. You know, Mo- he's not Modric, for example. No, he's he's a guy who they bought because of. I think that they probably decided to buy him that night when he scored that unbelievable goal against West Ham. Mm. Do you remember the goal? Yeah. I yeah, mean, amazing. Yeah, I mean, come on. Bale gets the ball. He's, you know, it's like the last minute. I can't remember if it was this, maybe it was three, ended 3 2 Tottenham or whatever, but it was like a 30 yard, 35 yard shot. It was just, everyone was, ah, oh, this guy, this guy. That's what you're buying Gareth Bale for. His ability to do that, his ability to run past players, to, you know, to, to create goals with, with r- runs that sort of, over, to overrun, to devastate the opposition in a kind of spectacular way. Not to combine with teammates so much. I and mean, he delivered in, uh, when, it, when it mattered last season, cup final against Barca, Champions League final. He has consistently delivered at a level approximately 50% that of Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> now what more can you realistically <laughs> ask for? Because he is playing in the same team as Ronaldo as well. I mean, if he was, if he was playing for Atletico, say, maybe he'd be getting closer to two-thirds or three-quarters of what Ronaldo's doing. But realistically, you can't have two guys like that in one team because you can't, the team can't aim one ball at two guys. You know what I mean? It has to, there, there can only be one guy who's the sort of focal point of the team's play. Um, you know, if, if, if there's a dominant player like Ronaldo, he is obviously going to dominate. Bale is never going to get Ronaldo-type figures playing as Ronaldo's sidekick. It's not, it doesn't happen that way. You know what I mean? Yep. So, uh, I don't know if that's what they expect from him, but I think he's done brilliantly. I mean, everything that he, everything he's done has been he he succeeded as much as they could realistically have expected him to succeed. Maybe not as much as they could unrealistically have expected. You know, which which is also possible. Players sometimes do that, but not as much as uh, as much as they real. And I think they're just they're just actually bored of him. I I honestly think that a big problem with Bale is that he's Welsh. Why would that be a problem? Because he being Welsh, he doesn't really interest the UK population in quite the same way. As, for instance, Harry Kane, right? <laughs> now, imagine Harry Kane was playing for Real Madrid and scoring a goal every two games like Gareth Bale, right? Do you think he might have a chance of winning BBC Sports Personality of the Year? I think, I think he might. I think he might. I think there'd be a lot of Harry Kane news in the There's in a the lot papers. of Gareth Bale news, and there was certainly a lot of excitement when he was signed for that amount of money. It was huge. I, was I, don't, I don't know if I buy into this. I, I don't know if the if the British football public differentiate that much. I think this, he's still seen as a a Premier League footballer who's gone over and been signed for a world record fee by Real Madrid. Yeah, but he's just another. I don't think he's a. You know, I mean, he's not. If I it was actually, an English I do player. think there it, it, there is a big difference huge, between huge difference, being from Cardiff and being from London. Yeah. In in a situation like this, I. I, and it's 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 strange to even it's a hard thing to even kind of define. But you know, if you think back to Beckham and obviously people being sent over there to report on that, you know, a David Beckham correspondent. Yeah, Beckham was bigger again, though. Beckham was almost bigger than a country. Well, he he, he is. Beckham he was captain is. of England. But, but, but yeah, but Garrett because Bale he's was, English, yeah. I mean, if Gareth yeah. Bale was the captain of England, right? You, he would be ten times a bigger deal 
uh, in media terms for the English media. And that's an actually maybe a big now, thing for Maybe the now that he's gone over, when he, I, I did think the, I don't think they could have gotten any more, they could have salivated any more in the UK when Bale was signed and well, when he initially went over and when he was paraded in front of those thousands of people. Maybe now that he's over there, he's interested in a little it. bit and it wouldn't yeah. have been forgotten he's about. He's forgotten about. Yeah, We're, you know, for Madrid, I think, um, actually, they, uh, they've always... They've always had an interest in... But look at... Like, how many English players have Barcelona bought? <laughs> in the last 10 years. Yeah, right. I can't, I can't think of any. Can you think of any? Gary Lineker? It's a little more than 10 years ago. Gary Quite a bit more. You know, <laughs> and, and that was... And wasn't wasn't Terry Venables who signed Gary Lineker. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's why they signed <laughs> Gary Lineker. <laughs> so, Barcelona are, don't really have the same... Real Madrid, actually, uh, because they're attitude because their whole everything about them is is more calculated towards marketing and publicity it's i mean that's just that that's how they maintain their position as the world's richest club richer than you know barcelona this is what they think about all the time so they take into account the fact that uh, the uk is massive football market in europe a, a market into which they can sell directly but indirectly that the uk media is probably the most powerful proportionally for, of any european country in terms of its global reach and you know if they're obsessing over a Real Madrid player as they used to with David Beckham for instance that does a that helps Real Madrid I mean it gets the it gets the name out there with Gareth Bale he's just like an he might as well be Isco you know I think as far as the UK media is concerned and I think in I think in Spain they literally didn't understand what Welsh was Welsh what we thought he was English you know in, they call Britain England on the continent I mean you go to Germany, you go to Germany, you go to France, you go to Spain. They call, they refer to England. They don't really refer to Britain. They have no idea what your theory Welsh is. And Wales and Scotland are different things, and actually maybe have m- maybe a subtle difference that makes a big difference. Your theory is the people who run Real Madrid, one of the biggest, have never clubs heard in the of world, Wales, a massive, <laughs> massive business. I just don't know the difference between English and Wales. Do not know the difference between English and Wales. Yes, that is my contention. That is absolutely my contention. (laughs) I mean, in in fairness, everybody in uh, you know in in most most people running football clubs in England, I'd say, would think of Spain as being a fairly monolithic entity. They wouldn't necessarily think of there being much of a difference between Basques or Catalans or Andalusians. They would. If you, you think? Are you saying that, that Daniel Levy doesn't know that Barcelona, the people in Barcelona see themselves as somewhat different from people in Madrid? I'm not sure. Does I mean, he, does he Daniel watch Levy's the Isn't does Daniel Levy the man who, who, who signed Juan de Ramos? He thought Juan de Ramos would be, would be like, like that fellow Rafa Benitez. Well, you know... <laughs> I mean, it, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, that's it's only it's only one theory on Bale's fatal Welshness. But I think they want to send him back now. They're like, oh, hang on, this guy isn't what isn't what we thought. I mean, sure, he'll he score a goal every two games. Sure, he's he's one of the best players in the league. But frankly, we can do better. We can get Royce. We can get Marco Royce, David De Gea, and still have money left over if we send Bale back. Nigel so Pearson again. What was he? What was he up to? Nigel Pearson is very weird. I mean, Pearson, uh, essentially, Leicester lost to Crystal Palace. Pearson had a collision on the sideline with um, James MacArthur. And then he kind of seemed to grab MacArthur's throat and hold him on the ground for a little bit. Uh, and you were mentioning on the other manager, of course, was Alan Pardew, <laughs> who was standing there un- <laughs> uncertain as to what what he could really do. I mean, on the one hand... 
one of my players does seem to be being manhandled by the opposing manager. On the other, have I really... He's he's still in really good nick. (laughs) Nigel Pearson's an extremely good nick. Well, as as Nigel Pearson told the BBC afterwards, they said, well, well, you know, you you just seem to put your hands on him. He said, well, I'll I'll talk about that. uh, If there's anything to be said about it, I'll, I'll talk about it at that time. And then they said... Well, he said, oh, you know, but I, I can certainly look after myself. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> and uh, the the interviewer said, I'm sure you can, Nigel. <laughs> strange. It was a strange answer because it was easy enough to maybe take this thing out of a little bit. But essentially his answer was, listen, come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. Really, yeah. Well, to and, all Premier League and players. you can bring come your and, dinner. Yeah, yeah you, you can, can bring your dinner. And you come and have a go. You wouldn't be advised because there's no doubt about that. He, he can look after himself. Now, what happened then was that... English football is united in the conviction that Nigel Pearson can look after him. He certainly can. Nobody, nobody questions. No There's no question that. about that. Yeah. Um, so Nigel Pearson then, rumours uh, abound, you know, people are reporting that uh, Pearson has got um, sacked on Sunday. Four hours of oh, Leicester not saying anything. Then Leicester put out a statement saying, we'd like to clarify, uh, the club would like to clarify its position relative to its manager. Contrary to media speculation on Sunday evening, Nigel remains the club's first team manager. Reports to the country are inaccurate and without foundation. Nigel, his staff and the first team squad are entirely focused on Tuesday night's trip to Arsenal and our continued efforts to secure our position in the Barclays Premier League. Leicester, of course, bottom of the table. Playing against Arsenal, you would have to imagine that's probably going to be another zero points for them. Um, it's not great. But there's, uh, I mean, as to, as to what's really going on there, I mean, I'm sure it's not all because of this thing with James McCarthy, which you know, really wasn't that big of a deal. It's more to do with the league position, and I think maybe has been brought to a head by the signing of uh, Kramerich, the Croatian striker who didn't start, and this was something that Pe- that was addressed in the interview with Pearson. And Pearson is... We've seen Pearson speak. He's he's very unusual in the way that he speaks to the media. It's he, he's different from any of the other managers. I think uh, he he kind of is a, a he speaks more slowly. Seems like maybe he's putting a bit more thought into it, but actually blurts out a lot of stuff. And he said immediately, they they said, well, you know, you didn't play Kramer. He's a recent signing. You know, you you didn't start him though. What's all that about? And he said, well, I think with the way he plays, I mean. He's a goal scorer. Uh, you know, you, you know exactly what Nigel Pearson is saying here. Yeah, he's saying this guy is a lightweight. He doesn't know how to fit into our team. You know, he's a kind of a we need we we need to put a team out there. The way we set the team up today, you know, I just thought it was better to start with other players. But you can imagine it's clear that he didn't sign this player. We know that now. I mean, he, if he if he signed the player, he'd be using the player. Um. So leaving leaving guy out who obviously other people in the club are convinced has the potential to maybe save their season, that's that's just a, a bit of a problem there. That's the end of Kennerly's report on sport. Stop it! That's one of those things. Stop it! How many players can do this? Duffman can never die. Thirty-four years old. It's one of those things. Duffman can never die. Only the actors who play him. Second chance. No, he did. No, he did. Do you think Robbie Keane just said, you know what? Any questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. Oh, yeah. He's got more of a tandem, Abel.
Miguel Delaney is ready now to talk about my new favourite footballer, Miguel, Harry Kane. Um, impressive at the weekend, obviously. Are Tottenham themselves, do you think, a little bit surprised at Kane's impact so far? Um, maybe a, a little bit. Uh, I think the big thing with Kane is, I mean, I was re- reading the piece even last night by Josh Robinson of the Wall Street, Wall Street Journal, in which I, it's actually kind of hard to tell what he's good at, other than kind of pace and energy. He's got no obvious skill in the way you would say someone like, say, Sergio Aguero does. And well, you don't know, make comparisons in that regard. I think the big thing with him is almost the personification of Pochettino's approach. I mean, he seems to just so suit this system and this team. And I don't, like, and I don't think it is a coincidence that Spurs' form basically radically picked up at the end of November when he started properly starting games because I think he's helped... Um, He's helped the team adjust to Pochettino's way much more quickly just because the, the manner in which he puts teams under pressure, the way he breaks open games. Um, so, I mean, and, and yet, as, as regards to, I mean, this is a player who spent up, up until this season so much to go away from on, on loan. So, yeah, I think there is an element of surprise. Mm. But, um, I mean, unlike other players we've seen with Spurs over the past years, even even think to Andros Townsend uh, a year and a half ago, I don't think this shows uh, quite, I don't think this will run out really because I, I think it is such a good fit. Well, they didn't. They obviously didn't expect him to amount to much, uh, judging by the way that they were they were uh, sending him out on loan. I mean, it's not it's not as though Tottenham have had brilliant strikers uh, occupying the first team places over the last couple of seasons. So, what what is it that's that's changed? Is there something changed in this uh, this man's head over the last uh, twelve months, eighteen months? Um, what, how has he suddenly begun to show this sort of potential, which which the club, uh, which raised them up, evidently didn't suspect really existed? Well, he's only, he was only twenty. To be fair, or, he was only twenty even last season, and he did actually towards the end. I think he got three goals in um, in three games under Sherwood. And I think Sherwood was one of the first to. I mean, for, you know, for all the criticism that, that he's received. He was, he was one of the first to show a little bit of faith in him. And I think it's almost been... One of the big problems with Spurs over the past few years, of course, has been the amount of instability there. So it would be hard to make any sort of long-term plans in that regard. Or, you know, every manager has a different idea. But I think he's been lucky as well. And he's got someone in Pochettino who does enjoy working with young players, who has this reputation of um, making players better. Uh, and even if you look at the way it's, uh, even Pochettino's faith in him seemed to increase because he started the season you know, scoring against the likes of Limassol in the Europa League and is now obviously doing it against Chelsea and Arsenal. Uh, so I think, I think he's been fortunate as well to find a manager or another manager who's, who's willing to invest such faith in him and was willing to give him such a chance. Mm. Here's one of the, um, more, uh, the, one of the better regarded pundits on uh, British TV at the moment, Danny Murphy, talking about Harry Kane. He says... Um, I don't mean he should just be selected for England. I mean, build the team around him. He's so young, but so powerful. I'm struggling to see a weakness in the lad's game. <laughs> now, listen, I, I just want you to take the last part of that first. Do, I, I mean, Danny Murphy says he can't see a weakness in Harry Kane's game. I, I mean, is he serious? That's a bit more. I mean, but I, well, what I, would you what would you say? I mean, you've seen that you've seen him play in, a number of times at White Hart Lane. So, so would you see any weaknesses? Um. I think link up play maybe a bit better. Um, obviously, we're not exactly seeing him, you know, p- playing killer through balls to split open defenses. I think that's that. That's well. well in fairness, ball. he's a centre forward. You know, I mean, yeah. we're not probably probably seeing him head away uh, too many too many balls at the back either. But that's not well, his but, job. If, but if you're if you're building a team around someone, yeah, you you want those type of uh, technical attributes, especially in attack. 
Um, I think, well, I mean, I suppose the Chelsea goal shot, he, he is a good finisher. And I think he's got that kind of striker's opportunism. We, we saw it with the first goal against, against Arsenal as well, um, in which he, he was the only player basically moving in the box. So he has that kind of reaction. But again, it's, it's kind of like so, so many of his qualities are based on physicality. Now, I suppose that's not necessarily a, a, a bad thing, obviously. I mean, you could say the same about Cristiano Ronaldo, although obviously that's maybe at a much higher level. And again, I don't want to make comparisons between Kane and, and Ronaldo. I suppose half, half of comments like that, though, are kind of the problem. Anytime England have had a player break through like this, there is this kind of immediate rush to, procl- to proclaim them as um, you know, you know, you know, the, the next whatever. There's an element of perspective lost, and they'll suddenly, a little bit of bad form, and you know, reality re- reasserts itself. Um, in, in saying that, though, I, I, I do think he, uh, in, England needs something like that as well, even if they shouldn't necessarily build a team around him. I mean, just thinking of what Roy Hodgson's actually been doing, uh, he's he's kind of put, been putting together the team around players like Sturridge when he's been available, Wayne Rooney, uh, Raheem Sterling, Danny Welbeck. Uh, I mean, England's performance against Switzerland obviously seems like something that happened in another century <laughs> now. It's so long ago, but it was a Sterling, Rooney, Welbeck uh, kind of uh, front front three, I think, which did the damage for them on that night. Uh, and everyone seemed quite happy with it then, but now it's like, now nah, bring in Harry Kane. I mean, is is he is he seriously that good? To oust that those players, I'm not sure yet. I mean, he really follows problems. He's still, he's still one of the, one of their. He arguably is England's best player. He still can be so effective. But it's also is he, is he though, Miguel? I mean, are, are we not? I mean, is Rooney as good as Harry Kane now? Are we not? Are we not guilty? Well, look, who, of, are you, who are you picking holes? Who are you picking holes in here, Ken? Harry Kane or Rooney? Well, look, pick, all I'm saying is pick your targets. All I'm saying is, uh, I mean, we saw we saw Harry Kane do his interview after the game, yeah, and mm-hmm. he's and he's asked uh, about. I think he was asked, hey, which of the great Tottenham strikers would you have <laughs> chosen to be, Teddy Sheringham, Jurgen Klinsmann? And he says, well, I've seen the greats play here, Teddy Sheringham, Robbie Keane. (laughs) So underlining the fact that Harry Kane's life began essentially last week (laughs) in in football terms. Um, You know, but the fact is, you know, he's he's playing the season. He's he's I mean, what's Rooney got eight goals or something in the league? Like as many, just just one more than John Walters. I mean, is he not yesterday's man at this at this point? Are we are we guilty of maybe attaching too much importance to the to the great seasons we've seen Wayne Rooney have when Harry Kane himself was it was it still in primary school? Well, on the Robbie Keane thing, actually, I did um, I interviewed Kane actually last week for a magazine that's going to come out in the, next, in the next few weeks, and he did mention one of the things he liked about Keane was the fact that he always had defenders off balance in a sense they never knew what he was going to do next. I think. I think you might have referenced that in a piece for Ken, the Henning Berg said it. And I suppose you can see well, elements of that twice. in Kane's game as well. Yeah, I think it's, it looks... They're, they're, maybe, they're different players in, in terms of physicality, but I guess in, yeah. in terms and, of and unpredictability. Yeah. Uh, what, what, how did his personality come across in that interview? You know, yeah, you say it's not printed yet, but was he, did he, see, he always seems like a, a humble enough, grounded lad, as they say, uh, in interviews. It's completely, yeah. Abs- absolutely no um, hairs or grace about him. Mean, when I kind of... Um, you know, I don't want to kind of conform to the... I suppose the expectation or stereotype that all footballers are kind of a slightly aloof because of the money they make, and most generally kind of normal enough. But he was, he was particularly uh, uh, humble at sea and quite, and quite down to work. He was just friendly, um, w- willing to talk. He, he, he was good, yeah. He was just nice and unassuming. Again, it's, a, it's hard to have any criticisms in, in any situation at the moment with him. Uh, just, in, I mean, the actual game itself, I mean, it was a brilliant game. It was one of the most enjoyable games of the season, uh, I think. 
Um, although it was a little bit one-sided. I mean, Tottenham were really yeah. dominant, even from the... Uh, you know, when, when Arsenal took the lead, you kind of thought it was a bit of a fake lead that Arsenal yeah. had, managed to, had managed to get. You know, it was it was a little bit lucky. It was against the run of play. And you, you had a sense that Tottenham were going to be able to play their way back into the game. Is it worrying for Arsenal then? Because, they, they okay, they, they've now gone behind Tottenham on the table. I know they're talking about, well, uh, you know, we've got games against, uh, I think, nine of the last 15 are against teams in the, in the bottom half. And Arsenal, as we know, usually quite efficient at hoovering up those yeah. points. But... You know, Tottenham looked a better team than them. They looked like a more a more vibrant team. They've got more energy about them. They they look like a team that's kind of going places. And Arsenal maybe are, are starting to look a bit stale at a at an awkward point of the season. Yeah, well, I suppose in terms of whether it was one of the games of the season, I think it was certainly one of the performances of the season from Tottenham. I, I, I'd go as far as say that. I thought they were absolutely excellent. And, I, I mean, they completely battered Arsenal, really. Just kind of, both of the goals came just kind of persistence and, and relentlessness of their, of their attacking um, and from Arsenal's point of view I think that they basically got the balance wrong I mean they've been so criticised over the past few years for refusing to change approach Wenger finally does it against City it works and you know they, they themselves really tenacious in that game but then on Saturday they almost they tried the same thing and did none of what they managed against City they were kind of they, they allowed themselves to be, to be completely opposed upon and um, as regards to, I, th- I think you're right in the sense that there is that kind of element of complacency about Arsenal, whereas Spurs look at the changings. Well, so that this, this comes from a context though where Spurs have needed to change something for so long, and I do think Pochettino is one of the kind of the best young managers in the game now. I think it's possibly a little bit early. I mean, I still I still have the sense that Arsenal will maybe get away with it is the wrong word, but they'll do enough. They generally do. I'd almost be more worried about Manchester United in that regard at the moment. Um, but if you if you look at that Spurs squad as well, I think it's particularly why it's such a testament to uh, Pochettino and Kane is because I mean really, how many prime top quality players are in that squad? We've, we've got a mix of kind of very young players who've had a, a sudden evolution. I mean, not just in Kane. Look at Bentaleb. Look at Mason. Uh, um, even Ericsson as well. I mean, he, he's um, in his early twenties as well, or or else kind of a few journeymen in there. I mean, and again, one of another testament to Kane himself is the fact that. Spurs didn't sign a striker uh, this January because it looks like they they so badly done. Soldado's on the fringes. Adebayor is, uh, you know, you know that they essentially tried to get rid of him. So, um, but I think I think that will maybe tell for Spurs towards the end of the season that this thinness once it once it comes right down to, especially if they go further in the Europa League, it might cost. Them. I think it's a little bit early yet. But I think it's, it's very, very encouraging for Spurs in the long term, provided they can hang on to the manager. What about the short term? Because they have had a few, a few struggles with Liverpool the last few times they've played them and have taken a few hammerings. Are they better placed ahead of their trip to Anfield tomorrow? It's, the one thing about Liverpool, they're almost hard to read at the moment because one, one game you look at them and think, geez, Rogers done really well to work this out. That they, they look good again. Then the next, they're extremely stale. So I think they're in a little bit of a transition. This transition is, is ongoing for Liverpool. Um so uh, without willing to resort to cliche, it almost like depends on which Liverpool turn up. And he completely, uh, he did completely outthink Pochettino in that game at White Hart Lane earlier in the season. Though the, the difference in quality was something else. Although again, that was so early in Pochettino's time, it's a little hard to judge. They, they might fancy revenge tomorrow. All right, Miguel, we'll leave it there. Thanks a million. Cheers, thanks, lads. It sounds like you're not totally convinced about Harry Kane, Ken, or were you just playing the devil's advocate role there? Um, well, uh, look. I mean, he's probably going to finish the season with 30 goals, 30 or more goals. You know, that's that kind of commands attention. Um, 
I think that he's he reminds me a bit of I think we said this before. But he reminds me a bit of Fernando Torres before he kind of withered away to nothingness. Um, he he had the same kind of sloppiness about him in the sense of his control was always a little bit. Mm, is he re- does he really have to pull under control? But he had a kind of. Um, I think Torres may be a bit quicker than Kane, and Kane probably stronger than Torres, but some similar kind of attributes. I mean, I think back to his goal against Chelsea, the the one now particularly, this, I think it was the second goal against Chelsea, where he had the ball inside the penalty area and looked like he was about to shoot, actually delayed for a fraction of a second, and then just kind of placed the ball. That was a really classy finish. You know, It wasn't like an accidental... It wasn't like, here's a guy who's just swinging his boot of the ball and smacking it in, you know? And funny, he scored some of their goals that do look like he's just swinging the boot of the ball and smacking it in. At times, he takes the ball a lot earlier than you think he needs to. He's, he's winding up, you're going, there's no need to shoot. There's, there's a chance to step inside. So I think exactly what uh, Miguel was talking about there, it's his unpredictability that is really his ace card at the moment and yeah. he's not always going to be unpredictable or maybe he will Robbie Keane remained somewhat unpredictable for his Robbie Keane career. did but he re- remained inconsistent as well you know, Robbie he scored Keane, a lot of goals for Tottenham though he scored plenty of goals for Tottenham Harry Kane will be doing well to, to match Robbie Keane's total for, for Spurs I mean that's that's definitely a fact but you know and at the moment he's playing with like super bulletproof indestructible confidence which isn't always going to be the case. I mean, if you think to a player like, for instance, Andy Carroll, who reminds me of Kane also in some ways, uh, again, maybe he's a bit further, say, if on the Torres, Kane, Carroll continuum, Carroll's a little bit further onto the less quick, more strong. Um, you can imagine Andy Carroll scoring the kind of goal Kane scored to win the match on Saturday. Um, but when he was playing for Newcastle and playing with a lot of confidence, he was... Really, really, really difficult to stop. I mean, a similar. I think it was making a similar impact on the uh, division as Kane now is. I mean, that's why he ended up being signed for thirty-five million pounds. Remember, he'd scored like eleven goals or twelve goals or something like this in the league, and in four months, and a lot of good goals and made impact and made an impact in a lot of big games. You know, he he, he was doing something quite similar because he's playing with so much confidence, and that's the kind of an intangible thing which isn't always going to be there. Jonathan Wilson is in Equatorial Guinea where he watched Ivory Coast win the African Nations Cup in an insane penalty shootout. Jonathan was pretty entertaining and the star of the show was a man called Bubakar Barry, the Ivory Coast goalkeeper, who you describe as the improbable hero in your piece today. Why improbable? Well, I think if you look at this, you know, this so-called golden generation of Ivorian footballers over the last decade, there's always been one weak link and it's him. You know, they, they just haven't had a good goalkeeper. And the notion, you know, we sort of thought that, um, slightly cruelly, that Bubakar Barry might be key in winning them the Cup of Nations this time around by not playing. That Sylvain Gipahua had come in and played really, really well. And then suddenly the news breaks about two hours before kickoff. Uh, Gipahua's got a thigh strain and Barry's back. And you sort of think, oh, God, I can see where this is going. And it turned out we couldn't. <laughs> And you know, in the first half, he he dropped a cross, he scuffed a clearance. He, he just he's a man who sort of exudes panic. And then midway through the penalty shootout, when sort of everybody suddenly starts scoring after you know, in Ghana two 0 up, Ivory Coast get back to two two, and everybody's scoring. And you've got the emotional moments like Colatoure, who, who missed three years ago. He scores, and sort of his his big Stuart Pearce moment. You've got Javinho, who missed a decisive kick three years ago. Who really sort of panicked then that he wouldn't take the what, the the tenth kick and Colatieri went forward to you know, had to go forward and take it 
and, and then was sent back as they wanted Juninho to take. And, and Colter ended up going forward again, so he did that walk twice. And that's almost certainly, yeah, that, that was a contributing factor in him missing. So Juvenio clearly had this great burden of guilt, and he just couldn't watch. So he, he, he took a chair and he put it down by the edge of a dugout and faced in the opposite direction, just stared at his feet. And he was this sort of very mournful figure, and there's all this sort of, everybody else around him is sort of celebrating or kind of clutching their heads, and he's just sitting there, and he, and he can't watch it. And then it, it suddenly became apparent of, hang on, Bubikar Barry's going to have to take the decisive penalty. Bubikar Barry's going to win this thing. This, 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 I mean, I feel really cruel describing him as a clown, but that's kind of what he is. He's got this very mournful face. He never tucks his shirt in. He just doesn't look like a footballer. And then it, his, when he, he scored the penalty, his, his interview after that, uh, somebody asked him, said, yeah, how, how did you feel when you went up to take it? And he said, well... I'm not big of stature or talent, but I remember that my mother loves me, which is such a sort of poignant line. Yeah. The man who knows he's rubbish at football, mm. and yet he's the one that, that heroism has, has, has fallen upon. And it, you know, Yaya Toure, who, who looked absolutely exhausted after the game, just emotionally shattered. He could barely speak in the, in the press conference. And you know, he's, he's a very fluent speaker normally. And uh, he was saying, oh, yeah, um, Bilka Barry, yeah. He, he showed what solidarity is all about, which is a Really, sort of double-edged thing to say that you seem to be saying you know, we've had to put up with this guy for ten years, but he's still the one who's done it. So it was after all the grief that, that Bill Barry's gone through. It was it was it was great for him. It was just a great human story that he's actually the one who wins it after this this you know ends the drought. But yeah, a very very. I mean, a man who wasn't playing two hours before the final, a man who panicked about through the final and saves two penalties and scores the winner. Yeah, he wasn't universally popular on Twitter because I was watching the game and uh, following what people were... I, I was just getting more and more fascinated by this guy. Even within the penalty shootout, all the personality traits you talk about there, Jonathan, were evident over that... Well, it turned out to be 15, 20 minutes, however long the, the shootout ended up taking. He, he went down with cramp on a number of occasions and the commentators assumed that was a bit of gamesmanship. He, it was definitely gamesmanship when he was pointing into which corner... I think it was Andre Ayew was about to take a penalty. Then Ayew eventually sticks it and starts abusing Barry back at which point Barry backs down completely and apologises tries to hug the man who, <laughs> who he was trying to lull into missing the penalty he goes then he, he saves the, the final penalty by the Ghana goalkeeper then goes down with cramp again before getting up heroically to stroke the ball home well, the cramp I mean I, I, I don't know I mean there's, this has been a bad tournament for goalkeepers feigning injury but it wouldn't completely surprise me if Barry just got himself in such a state of nervous tension that he did suffer cramp. And then, of course, as soon as he scored, it, it, it disappears and he can do his sort of, you know, 300-yard record sprint around the stadium. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, maybe it was going to maybe it was genuine. But the other thing, he was praying all the time. And a couple of Ghanaian players said that they thought he was trying to put them off. And they realized he was just praying. And that was the other thing he said in his post-match interview was that he, you know, he dedicated the, the, the goal to three, uh, I was going to say people, three entities which were number one, God, number two, his mother, and number three, his child. Well, one, another person that, uh, involved in the, in the uh, aftermath there who would have made a big uh, impact, I suppose, on viewers around the world was Hervé Renard, uh, the manager of uh, Ivory Coast, who whipped off his lucky white shirt and cavorted topless with his players. Um, uh, I mean... I don't know what you what you make of this guy, Jonathan. I mean, Yaya Toure credits him with uh, with taking. Re- he took a real hard line with Yaya Toure, which which the whole birthday cake thing would have would have suggested wasn't really going to be a profitable course of action to take with Yaya Toure. But no, Hervé Renard stood up to him and said, "You know, if you don't run, you're cut." And uh, and Yaya Toure apparently responded to this. This he he says this guy really knows African football. 
Well, he's the only man ever to win the tournament with with two different sides. He's, he's won it twice in three years, and it's really apparent. But both with, I mean, with Zambia, you can kind of understand it. It's a, it's a small football nation. Yeah, they no great record of success when they won it three years ago. It was, it was their first victory, and you could see that the the obvious respect Ben had. He was sort of this you know, this great father figure for the squad, and you could see he was tough with them. I, mean, I remember in, in the final, he uh, the right back whose name escapes me momentarily. He actually punched in the chest. He was about to take a throw in. Um, so he, he was a pretty tough figure then, but inspired huge love and respect. And you can see exactly the same things happen with the Ivorians. And I think he's probably, his, his timing's been very good that this is now, you know, it's perceived as being post golden generation, that the, the two years ago in South Africa was the end of the golden generation when they lost to Nigeria in the quarterfinal. And there's only four players in this squad who, who played in 2006 when, when they first reached the, the final with, with this sort of set of players. You know, the two Toure's and Sakatiene and, um, and and Barry, but but yeah, he's he's clearly he has something that that means both the Zambian players and the Ivorian players. They they do what he tells them, but they they have this great respect for him. Uh, I mean, the other manager in the game is Avram Grant. Uh, is are we still in a situation where they're looking to get European? Uh, well, Avram Grant obviously is Israeli, but European managers uh, involved. Uh, I mean, Stephen Keshi did win the. Tournament last time, but uh, but you know, apart from Keshi, you look back at the sort of role of honor in the tournament going back all the way to '94, and um, there aren't any other sub-Saharan African coaches. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it is a big problem. Um, of the 16 coaches here, only three were, were domestic, um, and Nibengo with with DRC did very well. You got got them to, to third, and now I made a big point after the semi-final of congratulating him and saying what a great year he's had, and saying you know people like this in the future, you've got to have faith in in, in local coaches. But there does seem to be this ongoing problem that players struggle to respect the coach. Players who've got European experience struggle to, to respect the coach who doesn't have European experience. And the vast majority of coaches in Europe are European or South American. So it's difficult to see what the development model is, that even if you're very successful as a, as a coach in Africa, if you win the African Champions League, is that going to get you a job in Europe? Almost certainly not. And so I think you're always going to have this issue of, of European-based players at big clubs who, who sort of look at the, the the national team coach and think, well, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. That we do it better in my club. We'd rather do it this way, and that, that creates tension. So yeah, it's, it's a it's a huge problem. All right, Jonathan, great stuff. Listen, we we'll leave it there. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler's here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about him, but no one had seen him. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. I'm glad Jonathan explained the context of Gervinho's behaviour there, because I did see it as a little bit odd that he was so detached from what was going on around him. I, I know you can be nervous and sometimes you look away, but literally sitting on the chair, not lo- not looking particularly emotionally involved in the whole thing. A little bit similar to the man who appears in the Didier Drogba vine. Mm, not Drogba, but... Sweeping today. Didier Drogba retired from international football and a lot of people, even last night, the commentators were saying, I wonder what Didier Drogba thinks of this. I wonder where Didier is now. Maybe he regret, regrets retiring from international football. Apparently not because he's in his vine celebrating wildly when the final penalty goes in, Murph. But not necessarily a joy shared by everybody in this vine. There are four people in the vine. Uh, Didier's uh, centre screen. Uh, woman to the front 
uh, left of the screen as we look. Uh, gentleman to the front, right of the screen as we look. And then one man standing at the back beside uh, Didier. So the <laughs> belly goes in. Three of them go completely mental. Jump around the place. Like Disappear from the screen in a couple of their cases. Yeah. And one man remains comp- entirely <laughs> implacable. Uh, and ex- a, 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 a zen calm is over him, even as the Ivory Coast uh, win the African Cup of Nations. It looks as though Drogba doesn't even know he's there. Yeah. Is he Ghanaian, do you think? I mean, oh, maybe he could be their token Ghanaian friend. Seems like. That they bring along for these occasions. Seems like the kind of reaction you might have if your team had just. No, well, I would say perhaps from another African nation. You know, yeah. not not a man emotionally involved in the game at all. Yeah, uh, just a man watching a watching a football game. Spurs play Liverpool tomorrow. Ken, we mentioned the game earlier on, but it, we talked to small bit to Miguel about it, but I didn't get to ask you. I don't know if you heard Brian Kerr speaking in your absence, Ken. Mm-hmm. Brian's in last week. We were talking about. I did. Your thoughts on Brendan Rodgers? He shares some of your. Yeah, you kept <laughs> saying, "Well, <laughs> you know, Ken only really doesn't like Brendan Rodgers." I mean, have you heard that guy talking about Brendan Rodgers? <laughs> I was thinking, hang on a second. Yeah, please. Stop. What's your What's well, your well, issue with that? Please say. Please. What? What did you want C- us to say? Certain. You know, Brendan Rogers is, as I think Brian Kerr described him as a nice man. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, Brian Kerr, I've never uh, heard you say that Brendan Rogers is a nice man. I've got no reason to argue with that. But, you know, certain things that he said from time to time, I found a little uh, hard to swallow. Um, from time to time. Now, who can deny... That Brendan Rodgers seems to sprinkle some magic fairy dust over this, over this Liverpool team, particularly when they play Tottenham. Oh well, look, five nil, four nil, and three nil—the last three results against Tottenham. So there's a clear trend there. Um, Brian Kerr's argument was again that you have to separate what happens in the press conference, yeah, to what happens on the field. Yeah, you do. I mean, it, it seems as though, but you know, you gotta you gotta look at it. For instance, I mean, you have to ultimately you can only really judge on results. Say, for instance, Simon Mignolet. Remember, Mignolet was throwing them in all autumn. Mm-hmm. And uh, what did Rogers do? Rogers dropped him. Were we, did we, on this program, say, brilliant decision by Brendan Rogers? No, we said, what's he doing that for? Why is he putting in Brad Jones? Brad Jones is, is, is not a very good goalkeeper. I don't really get why. You know, Mignolet now knows that he's, he's dead meat, you know, uh, has that going to help him out? Yeah, Mignolet has come in and I think it's, it's 480 minutes without conceding a goal in the league. So, you know, here's the... <laughs> yes, I'd like you to finish that thought. So what I'm saying is... They're going to beat Tottenham heavily again. No, I wasn't... wasn't Give us a prediction that. on that one. I know it's a full, it's a, it's a full set of fixtures over Tuesday and Wednesday, but that's probably the tastiest of the lot. Daniel Surridge is back, of course. Um, Roger said it's not important to, to it's, you shouldn't put all the pressure on Daniel Surge. he has of course been talking about Daniel Surge being absent as the reason why they've, they're having such a bad season um, I mean he, you know, two and a half years into the project he took them over they were seventh and now they're seventh um, but they have been on a good recent run and for that reason you would expect them to be able to hold uh, the beast Harry, Keen, Harry Kane uh, at Harry bay Kane. Uh, at bay for at least uh, you know at least get a draw at home against Tottenham. Probably in France they should win that game. Lots of great stuff coming up in the Irish Times Second Captains podcast on Thursday. Ken will bring some more readings from the uh, currently only released in Spanish George Mendes autobiography. 
in a show later on today we've got the two Shanes Shane Jennings and Shane Horgan on Ireland-France coming up next weekend in the Six Nations we'll talk a little bit about Italy but largely focus on what Ireland needs to do against France we also have Eamon Dunphy in that show uh, on the retirement of AP McCoy one of Eamon's favourite ever sports people so looking forward to that and in that in that same podcast we're going to reveal details of a live show in Dublin that we're doing in the next couple of weeks. So if you have any interest in coming out and seeing us do a live show, complete with some great guests, have a listen to that show, have a listen to that podcast coming up and we'll give you all the details there. In the meantime, thanks very much for listening today. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Owen, and thank you, Kenneth. And thank you, Kieran. Welcome, thanks, Kieran. Welcome back. Good to have you back, Kenneth. Oh, thanks very much, Kenneth. Take it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.